Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week, another episode. How are you? Oh man, I am worn out this week. <laughs> I know you were traveling for work and all of that stuff. It's yeah. good. Welcome back. Welcome back to the thunderstorms. <laughs> yeah, we drove through it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, but how was your week? You know, overall, I can't complain. It's been good. So, yeah, you got to love, you know, 100 and 104 degree temperatures and then uh, hurricane force winds. It's it's just been fun. <laughs> yeah, the snow plows out in Estes. Yeah. Yes, in the middle of July. That's Actually, weird. not even the middle of July. We're at the end of July, if you can believe it already. We're just a couple of days away from August. Yeah, the year has flown by. It really has. <laughs> it certainly has. So a couple of things that we are going to talk about in this episode, first off, is we are going to talk about the weather because um, <laughs> it's on top of everybody's mind. We figured might as well. Yeah. And then gas prices and oil and gas, especially within northern Colorado. And then our main story for this episode is dealing with the overall economy. So, well, first and foremost, let's dive into the weather. Um, one of the things, so obviously everyone within northern Colorado, we had out towards Severance, we had almost softball-sized hail. A torrential rain, torrential downpours, a lightning show that was magnificent, woke me up at about 3 o'clock in the morning just because of the flashes and everything else that was going on, thunder that shaking the house. So, yeah, what was your experience? I slept through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was coming south um, from Wyoming from work, and we actually um, kind of shot the gap on that first storm that rolled through. I got home. I was in bed in like 10 minutes. I didn't even know there was a thunderstorm. I woke up and was like, did it rain? Yeah. What did you take? What type of melatonin or, or anything did you take? Nothing. I took nothing. Oh, I did have a shot of whiskey. Ah, uh, fair enough. That counts, right? I yeah. just won though. And I was, I was like, I'm too tired of going to bed. Got into bed and I was out cold. I woke up at 7.30 this morning, like confused. No. Oh, I was so tired. <laughs> so if you are wondering what is going on with the weather, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it is there is a great resource that a decent amount of people know, but not everybody. So we just wanted to put it out there. Um, it is Denver and Front Range Weather on Facebook. And I think they're on Facebook and Twitter and your other social media. Um, but Cody... It's Cody, correct? Yeah, Cody Wilson. Yeah. That does and manages the Denver and Front Range Weather um, page does a phenomenal job of kind of really up-to-date information about what is going on within northern Colorado with the weather. Yeah, he's on point pretty much most of the time. And I'll tell you, a big shout-out to Cody for my drive home yesterday because I was watching his page. Actually, he was doing a live feed because there was so much activity across the Front Range. And I was watching his page. Actually, we stopped um, on the just right before the border, uh, right in Cheyenne. And we held for about 10 minutes because he's so accurate. And and honestly, I kind of checked the radar watch, but he was saying, stop for about 10 minutes, filled up with gas, got back on the road, and we're able to shoot a gap right there on I-25. And as we came through, man, obviously not to the extent that Estes Park had, but there was hail all over the roads. I mean, there were people pulled over. We we were literally just a couple minutes behind the storm. And then, of course, the next piece of it came over. But it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. The Estes Park got, what, a foot of, of hail? <laughs> yeah, that was insane. Of course, you know, when we were younger, I'm sure you remember, we used to get that all the time. Yeah. So it's a... Weather patterns, climate change, whatever. But um, it, it really was pretty impressive to see that kind of hail in Estes Park. Of course, that does bring a lot of concern for... 
flash flooding in the burns burn zones and the burn scar zones. Absolutely. We've already talked about that and dealt with that this year. And unfortunately, two people lost their lives to the flash flooding. And so yeah. that is a major concern because we're supposed to, we're again recording this on Thursday, the 28th. So last night we had major thunderstorms. We have the potential this evening to also have major thunderstorms and then also tomorrow. So heading into the weekend where then it's going to, to uh, heat up a little bit. Yeah, and actually um, Cody just put an update on on the Denver and Front Range weather page and he basically said that, you know um, – the cloud cover is kind of capping the atmosphere and we're not going to have as much thunderstorm development, but we still have all night to go. So keep an eye out. Yeah. So definitely be safe. Yeah. And let's dive into oil and gas, oil and gas. It is amazing to me how controversial the topic of oil and gas has become over the last few years. Absolutely. And I, it's a personal point of contention for me. So, <laughs> yes. So with your spouse that works in the oil field. Yep. Yep. He's uh, out on the East coast actually, cause uh, he can't work in Colorado. So, yeah. So I want to take a moment cause if you've filled up with fuel recently, you've noticed that gas prices have come down a little bit and wanted to dive in as to the reason as to why. So it's not because President Biden is, you know, telling all of these um, com- oil companies that they need to lower their overall prices. It's not him, you know, yeah. begging the Middle East, even though he was given, you know, energy independence when he took office. We aren't going to dive into that. We're actually wanting to talk about oil and gas. So part of the reason why we're in this situation where gas prices are coming down, a lot of people aren't familiar that we're taking a million with an M, a million barrels a day out of our strategic oil reserve. Yeah, um, not to mention that we've given or sold off a bunch of that oil reserve to China. Uh, about six million barrels. But that's <laughs> that infuriates me. But I want to do it. I want to talk more here over within the United States. Yeah, absolutely, because it affects the front range quite a bit. It does, and we've had an awful lot of issues. Where again, this is going back to 2018. This is going back further to 2016, as far as with what was originally Amendment 112, mm-hmm. where we, the people in Colorado, we voted that down. Yep, we made a decision that was not right for our state. We did not want to have all of the. Um, we did not want to shut down all of oil and gas production within the state of Colorado, and that was the what the people voted on. And it was still, I'm pretty sure that it was like a 57, uh, 57 to 40% type deal as far as those that did not want it versus those that did. Yeah, it was a pretty big margin. I mean, we're not talking a percent or two. Correct. Yeah. And then they went ahead, our Colorado legislator, legislature, uh, went ahead and passed Senate Bill 181 which essentially did everything that Amendment 112 was supposed to do, but they couldn't get it passed by actually going to a vote. Correct. So then they went ahead and did it anyways. So, and then now we're dealing with situations, in particular, Larimer County, that is very anti-oil and gas. You have Loveland that's anti-oil and gas, unless it involves the McWinnies. (laughs) You have Fort Collins that has banned oil and gas. You have Bertha that's talking about banning oil and gas. The question that comes to mind is why? Oh boy, that's a 
big hot basket of mess. So of course there is always going to be the ecological concerns. And Colorado, of course, is a beautiful state. We have a lot of tourism that comes in. We're known for how beautiful and, and I mean, just serene the state can be. And oil and gas does have, does have a tendency to do some damage to the environment. And I say some, but quite a bit of damage to the environment. If you have companies that are not, um, really being mindful of what they're doing to the land. That, unfortunately, any company, doesn't matter if it's just an oil company, but any company is going to be doing some destruction to the land. The other piece of that is the fear of fracking. Um, and if it, it does, you know, if it seeps into the water supply or if it, say, um, causes earthquakes because it destabilizes the ground. Those are all huge concerns, but I don't really know how well those studies have been done, number one. Number two, who pays for them? And then number three, um, who does it benefit? Because, you know, we have a governor of our state that has a lot of land that he made a lot of money off of from oil. Still. Still. He's making a ton of money on that oil. And I've, I've talked about this before, but we need to be very careful that we do not have serious dependency on foreign countries for our oil. Because that is how – you want to talk about how a recession starts. When we are dependent on other other countries and other entities for that, we are in trouble. And there is a lot of oil in the United States of America. Yes. I, I am just a little concerned. <laughs> I want to throw this in there because I'm sure you're thinking about it. But I'm just a little concerned that if you know other countries suddenly own pieces of our land, they are not going to care – what our regulations are, they are going to frack and they're going to drill for oil on those pieces of land. And you have to imagine that they've, they've got mineral rights. So they're going to drill that and they are going to make, number one, they're going to make money off of us, which of course, but number two, let's talk about how much damage could be done by those countries. I just started out there. So, and that's actually kind of where I wanted to go is when we talk about oil and gas and everybody's wanting to have this major push away from oil and gas, the frustration that I immediately have is that we don't have the infrastructure to get away from oil and gas as it currently is. So we've seen that time and time again all across the nation. But in addition to that is in particular within the state of Colorado, even with all of the regulations from Senate Bill 181, it is far cleaner to be able to drill for our own oil because we regulate it and because we have the EPA, because we have some of these other government entities that are kind of the watchdogs on what is happening and being able to control that. And so we're far, we're, it is far easier to have a cleaner, um, cleaner drill site, cleaner, uh, extraction. Sorry, it was looking for the word, uh, a cleaner extraction for our oil and gas when we're in control of it. Well, and, and the reality of that, what you just said, is that if we have to rely on foreign sources for our oil, number one, we have no idea what they are doing with that oil, how they're getting it, if it's a cleaner way of extracting it or drilling it, essentially. Um, and we have, we, we're also contributing to damage to the environment just by transporting it to us when we have it here. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And then in addition to that is dealing with the overall jobs and what has taken place within Northern Colorado. How many people have left? How many people have moved down a state? And I've helped. I've had clients that have called me up and say, hey, we've got to sell. we got to move because they were in the oil, oil business. 
and they needed to move to where they could find work. And so that's the other aspect that, yes, we are seeing people not only move into the state of Colorado, again, a lot of people from Texas, California, East Coast, West Coast, but we're seeing an awful lot of Coloradoans that are not only being priced out of the market, but now their jobs are going away. And I... It, it boggles my mind is to try and understand how many people are so frustrated with oil and gas and they want to push renewables, solar, wind. We talked about it last week yeah, as far absolutely. as with, with solar panels that they're mostly made in China because they can't be built and manufactured in the United States because of our rules and regulations, in particular with the EPA the fiberglass and everything that goes on with wind turbines. But it's the bottom line is to be able to manufacture any of the quote unquote clean energy that we have, all of these ideas of what clean energy is, it's all petroleum based products. Well, and essentially what we're doing by sending it to other countries like China is we are outsourcing the right to impact our ecological status. So what we're doing is we're saying, well, it doesn't really matter to us because it's cheaper or there are so many regulations that we can't do anything about it. So we're going to outsource that. And we've given them the control of our ecological system. I mean, it, what bothers me too is that you, you mentioned the whole piece about people having to move out of state. So my family has moved out of state before for oil and gas because my husband is, and he's not actually petroleum, he's natural gas, but we've moved out of state so that we could support our family. And at this point, we don't chase rigs anymore because it's just not even reasonable. And we're very fortunate in that aspect. I will say that my job allows for that. However, you have to imagine that these people that are leaving the state, these are not low tax paying individuals. Okay, they're not low pay tax paying individuals. And I say that because it's important to note that I pay taxes in two states. And the majority of the taxes that we pay goes to the state that my husband works in. So I live here. I spend money here, sort of. And I pay taxes elsewhere because I, my family can technically, I mean, really half of my family lives out of state. Yeah. That's very frustrating because yeah. Colorado, honestly, and I, I can say, very truthfully that Colorado does a very nice job of taking care of the environment and, and oil companies like them or not, they're the basis of a lot of products that you don't even realize that they're a basis of. <laughs> I mean, start naming something off. It, <laughs> it's always comical to me, especially when I have a, a vegan person that <laughs> complains about oil and gas. And I'm like, you do realize vegan leather is a petroleum based product. Absolutely. I mean, you, you cannot be vegan without oil and gas. Well, I mean, and that, of course, goes back to the idea of, of taking care of our environment and really knowing that the planet that we are on right now, we're going to leave for our children's children. I, I totally understand that. And I, I grasp that concept. I'm not, you know, I'm not deluded enough to think that that's not the case. But look at look at Texas. Texas is like the land of oil and cowboys. And they couldn't survive a winter that it got really cold there. Their grid failed. When it's hot now, California is doing rolling blackouts. There's tons of oil in California. They're, they're not able to sustain what we need as a country in order to be not even fruitful, just to survive. 
And now you're devastating the families. That was my biggest argument when the county decided to put a moratorium on oil and gas was you have no idea how much taxpayer income and how many people's lives are affected by this. Because, okay, talk about taxes, but let's talk about how many families are affected by this. The amount of money being put into the economy, if we want to talk about a recession, that's exactly what's happening here, is we have destroyed our ability to produce income. So I guess I'm curious, what (laughs) industry is next? Oh, oh, there are many. There are many. So, (laughs) uh, but to kind of finish up with oil and gas, this is part of the reason why I wanted to bring it up is to get this information out to you. Because if you look at mainstream media, they aren't really talking about it, but it's something to have on your radar. There's 180 days of a million barrels a day coming out of our strategic oil reserve. It was not completely full. Our strategic oil reserve, you're able, is able to store a total of 790 million barrels. And the whole point of that is, you know, after Vietnam, after the, um, the gas crisis in the seventies, they opened up the strategic oil reserve, making sure that we had oil in case there was, whether it be major natural, uh, natural disasters, um, after Katrina, yeah. they reached into it, whether it's war, they've reached into it for war and other entities. We were, we were only at about two thirds full, about 540, 520 million barrels in our strategic oil reserve. After 180 days, that is going to be ending in the end of October is when this 180 days is finalized. We're going to have, for the first time since they put into place the strategic oil reserve, less than 400 million barrels of oil. And it's possible we'll have less than 300 million barrels. That's pretty alarming. I, I You know, I, I do want to put out the point that during COVID, the strategic reserves, even the oil companies, there wasn't anywhere to put anything that they were drilling. So pretty much every oil rig in the country shut down because there was nothing. They they could drill all day long, but there was nowhere for it to go. And that, of course, was because people weren't traveling and doing all those things. And we did see a pretty big ecological impact as a result of that. I mean, across the planet, right? But this is really, really problematic. And we're suddenly selling this off. Yeah. So as far as everything that I can find, we've sold off about 6 million barrels to China. The other part of this is the fact that China is purchasing an awful lot of oil, an awful lot of petroleum from Russia right now because of everything that is going on between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Because Europe has stopped um, purchasing Russian oil. At least some countries have. So now China's purchasing that and they are adding to their strategic oil reserve as we are depleting ours. So I don't want to be an alarmist, but it's something to keep, you know, in the back of your head and say, why is this happening? Why, what is the reason behind this? And then with everything that is going on with oil and gas, it's fantastic if you drive an electric vehicle. I like a lot of the electric vehicles. Our grid cannot sustain it right now. There's no, there's no way that they have the ability to get our grid up to snuff to be able to sustain the amount of electric cars that they want to push everybody into. So that means that we will still have reliance on oil and gas. The people that it's hurting the most right now are those in need 
and yeah. really it's starting to creep up into the middle class uh, that more and more families here in northern Colorado can't afford transportation to get to and from their job. Now, luckily with COVID, uh, there's an awful lot of jobs that went uh, remote, but there's still a huge impact that this is happening or that because this is happening, and I just want you to be aware of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Alex. So and then let's dive into kind of the main story for this episode is dealing with the overall economy. So it came out today that we've had two quarters of decline. For the last three, four, five decades, it has always been that if you have two quarters in decline, yep. that triggers a recession. And it is fascinating to me to watch our current administration essentially try to rewrite what a recession means. Yeah, it's hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> yeah, just cover your eyes. It's not real. I mean – I think we're seeing the impact all across the country, but a lot in northern Colorado in the recession sense. It, I mean, go to the gas pumps, go to the grocery store, for goodness sakes. You know, I don't know about you, but we've actually been trying to find some pre pretty creative ways to bulk up our cabinet and to make sure that we have sustainable items so that if we are not able to make a huge grocery run, then we can just eat off of what we have. Yeah, and I think more and more families are starting to do that. But this is where we dive into the economy and what is actually affecting your average shows. Yeah. When you go to the grocery store, and this is where when you look at it from the technical level from from the federal government, they're saying that currently we're at a 9.1% inflation rate. So that does not take into account fuel and housing. And I can tell you that with looking at just even what you buy in the grocery store. So one of the things that, you know, it's just kind of a staple we like ha having on hand because my daughter enjoys eating ramen, mm -hmm. just the basic ramen, you know, the chicken packet, <laughs> chicken oh, yeah. seasoning ramen. About four months ago, a 48 pack case of that from Sam's was about seven bucks. Yeah. Which is what it should be. Now it's almost $14. Well, and it's not. The brand that you were getting before either, was it? Correct. So that's some of the stuff that we're looking at is meat has gone through the roof. And you look at all of these things that are happening right now, and we haven't even hit the beginning of the increases. And why I wanted to talk about um, the overall economy is all of the intricate pieces that come together with the economy. One of the first things that we'll start with is the overall farming industry. Yeah, I was just going to say... Yeah. So because we are in a drought, water has – just water has increased in price pretty dramatically. Fertilizer. Fertilizer is 300% increase. 300%? Seriously? That's huge. Massive. I mean that that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. So when you look at a lot of this stuff that's happening, you have um, – the overall cost of just producing one acre of whether it's barley, whether it's wheat, whether it's corn, you look at the overall cost just to be able to get that to grow and to get it out of the ground. The costs have gone up astronomically. Right. And it's not like farmers are charities. <laughs> they have to feed their families too. And they're, you know, they're working pretty hard to make sure that they're putting out a quality product or, and even if, 
you know, you, can, you may not be able to produce as much at that level. If you're going to pay that kind of money for 300 times the, or 300% increase in fertilizer cost, you're probably going to put out a little bit smaller product. Correct. Truthfully, because you're going to buy less. So, and well, at that point in time, even if you're able to put out the exact same amount, you have to sell it at a much higher rate to be able to recoup your costs. Right. Because you have to sell it at a higher rate to recoup your costs. Now, incidentally, everything downline has increased in costs. Meat, again, feed, <laughs> feed for our animals. You look at processing. Now, one of the issues that we have is we only have four main processing um companies within the United States. And so they're able to, to essentially have a monopoly is really the best way. They essentially price it to your ranchers, what they're going to pay for your cattle. There's an awful lot of independent ranchers that are now getting kind of in the business of processing their own meat, doing mm -hmm. all of that stuff and being able to sell it to the public because of everything that is going on within our ranching within America right now. And this is happening right here in Colorado is we have JBS over in Greeley mm -hmm. that is a major producer. All of a sudden, if, if we, we aren't seeing the overall price increases yet, yes, we are seeing them increase. I mean, shoot, just even a pork shoulder that a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago would have cost me about $14 is $20. Yeah. And that is nothing to the, to what the pricing increases are going to be within about the next three months, because now all of these costs to raise the cattle. So everything and to go off on a tangent, <laughs> luckily the bill did not pass, but they were trying to push through a bill that we had talked about what three, four months ago Yeah, that they were going to mandate that any cattle could not be butchered until it was at least three years of age. The overall cost of getting a, a cow, getting any, any um, animal to three years before you can butcher it, it doubles or triples your cost. Well, and just and on that, a, a tangent on that one, just for the record, here's the thing. If you, that means you have to double or triple how many animals you have because you're going to try to stagger those so you can continue to make profit. So you're going to, your cost is going to go up pretty significantly, but also let's talk about the environmental impact. I'm just throwing that out there. We don't have to. I'm just saying it, you know, now that you have to have double or triple for it to be economically sound for your farm to raise those animals to produce meat so that the cost doesn't go up. I, that's a ridiculous cycle that I don't even think is reasonable at all. So continue. I'm sorry. No worries. That's a good interjection. <laughs> um, but dealing with the overall price increases. So we are probably about four to six weeks away from seeing the cattle that has that cost more to produce actually hit the shelves. And when that happens, you're going to see meat prices probably double from where they're at right now. Yeah. I mean, and. As um, not being a meat eater, so being a non-meat eater and now being a meat eater, you, you don't realize how much meat actually adds to your bill, but it's it's really... <laughs> it's significant. It is significant. That's exactly why my family has started looking for other options of protein sources that isn't just meat. Not We're not anti-meat. Just you have to find a different source because if you can't afford to feed your family, the problem is, is that 
those other sources are also going up in price. Correct. And that's where I've seen a lot of people, a lot more farmers and ranchers that are willing to sell cattle, just sell a quarter, sell a half, sell a full cow. And, um, they're looking at that direction instead of going through any of the major producers. They're looking at just doing it on their own. I mean, I for one support that wholeheartedly. That's one of the things that I like to do is I like to get a a quarter or get a half when I'm able to. But even what I was able to pick up the last quarter was right about $700. Now they're in the neighborhood of $1,100 to $1,300. Ouch. So on top of everything else that is going on is even looking at these alternate sources to be able to acquire meat. It's already doubled in price. Well, I mean, even just go to the very basic, look at the cost of eggs. Very much so. And even Sam's was out of eggs the other day. Yeah, because you can buy them in bulk for pretty cheap right now. The fact that Sam's was out of eggs, I mean, it used to be two bucks for uh, a carton of 12 eggs. Now it's $4, $6. I've even seen if you want the full organic brown eggs and all of that stuff with all the labels on it, you're talking $8 for 12 of them. Absolutely. I mean, they're good eggs. You know, we have, we have a source, um, a friend of ours actually raises chickens and I buy chickens from them. Uh, and I get dick, duck, duck and chicken eggs. Um, but, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Combine some words guys. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I get duck and chicken eggs and they're really, really good, but there's still, I still pay about five bucks a dozen. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. So this is where, when you look at just these simple aspects and what we're hearing from the federal government, what we're hearing from the state, and then also hearing from local governments right now, I ask you to pause and let common sense come back into the room is because I'm so tired of being lied to. We are lied to on a daily basis by every single news outlet. It's, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I no, you're not wrong. I'm not going to correct you. (laughs) (laughs) And I know the struggle that we have just even trying to get guests. Uh, You know, we've, we've been lacking in guests partly because we've had people confirm and we've had two guests very, very recently that within 24 hours of recording that they refuse to come on. And these are, people that are actively running for office under the democratic ticket. I don't want to say anything as far as one side or the other. We've been called out. We've been told that, you know, Oh, you guys are a bunch of white right wingers because that's all you have. As far as your guests are concerned, that's not true. We have actively tried to bring people from both sides of the aisle on to have the conversation because that is what I think is the most important thing that we need right now within our society is we need to have just the conversation with all different ideologies to be able to have a better understanding of why is it that you're running for this seat? Why is it that you believe and do you believe with the everything and that is on uh, the Democrat ticket or on the Republican ticket. Where do you stand aside from the party? And I can tell you, as running as an independent, that is the most difficult thing to do in this nation, is to run as an independent or unaffiliated candidate. So I can understand why people go to the parties, because you almost have to in order to get elected. Sure. But – you have your party stances. One of the easiest things that we can bring up is the fact that next week, Tabor reimbursements are coming out. So single, you're going to get $750 uh, for a couple of $1,500 for tax reimbursement. 
it's not just a handout. It's part of TABOR. Yeah, you pay taxes. It They're is giving it back to you. The taxpayer bill of rights within the state of Colorado that you overpaid, they overcollected in taxes, and this is your rebate. This is the money that has to be, by Colorado state law, refunded to the taxpayers. That's not the way it's being spun. Of course not. Absolutely not. Why, why would they put it in a, in a light that would make them look bad? But keep in mind that within the Colorado Democrat Party, under their guidelines on what they believe in, they want to abolish Tabor. Yeah. So keep that in mind as you get this money and they're trying to spend it that this is some great gift that they're giving to you. No, they have to do it. They are required by law to do this. And they're trying to abolish that. They're trying to truly abolish the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And to go off on a little bit of a tangent, one thing that we're seeing is because of the amount of unemployment checks that were spent because of COVID, because all of a sudden it opened it up to a lot of people where even my wife, who's a hairdresser. Yeah. I mean, she was truly out of work, though. They shut her down. It was the first time that I had told her, I said, no, they shut you down. The government came in and closed the doors. At that point in time, you need to be compensated. So it was the first time that she had ever filed for unemployment. And then just a few weeks ago, we got a letter that I've seen so many people get that, oh, by the way, you were overpaid and (laughs) we need to collect one week or two weeks that you were overpaid. I wonder if I'll get a letter that says, hey, by the way, we were supposed to pay you, but we never did. (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. I'll let you know. So, but that's the other part that I'm frustrated that no one in, in mainstream media, no one in Denver media is actually going out and saying, okay, why are so many people receiving these letters of overpayment? Now, yes, they did have the big thing where there were some, some major overpayments that were put out, but that was major overpayments where there was a, I'm not sure if you remember, I think it was late last year or something where one person ended up with like a $12,000 payment. Yeah. That I can understand that I can go in and, and understand. But when you have so many people that are getting these letters about one week or two weeks of overpayment at the same time that you have Tabor that is forcing them to refund taxpayers money mm-hmm. and they're going to take that out of your tax uh, to your Tabor rebate, there's something not right about that. Well, you know, I just an interesting piece of information, I guess, that I learned when I was younger, um, when I was doing my taxes, probably for the first or second time ever. I had somebody tell me, you know, you, you want to make sure that all of your deductions are correct because you don't want to pay more into the government. And I thought, well, that seems silly because I, of course, you know, the government knows how much you're going to owe them every year. You have to go find out or, or, I don't know, do weird math to try to figure that out. And if you're wrong, you're going to pay him because the tax man's going to get his money. Okay. But if you overpay, they don't really care if you overpay. They're not going to make sure that you get that money back. If you underpay, boy, you're really, you're definitely going to find out. But I, I was taught that it's really not a good thing to overpay in taxes. Yeah, you might get your refund, but they're holding your money and they're using it for whatever they want to use. And you're essentially gambling that they're going to give that money back to you without finding a reason not to give it back. So to me, this Tabor thing, okay, we overpaid and they need to reimburse us for that because it is our hard, our hard, hard earned money. This is what we put food on the table for our kids for. And as far as I'm concerned, let me have my money so I can spend it the way I want to spend it because I know that I'm going to do something with it. And if somebody else chooses not to, that's their problem. 
the, the unemployment thing bothers me so much. I, you know, I, I filed for my two week furlough. I did not receive that money, um, because they messed up on the paperwork. It took me six. I, I contacted, contacted them for six months. Do you think I ever even got a call back? No, I actually did get one call back two days after they were supposed to call me in the middle of my shift at work and could not take the call. And the message was, because you can't take the call, we will not be resolving this. Oh, I'm sorry. If I can't take their call, oh, they're going to resolve it. Trust me, they're going to resolve it. Actually, um, a couple of years ago, we had to hire a tax lawyer because they did something weird with our taxes and said we owed them this astronomical amount of money despite the fact that we could prove it, I had to pay somebody several thousand dollars to resolve the issue so that we weren't stuck with this even bigger tax bill. They messed it up. <laughs> they should be paying my bill for my lawyer. Uh, reminds me of uh, when I had taken out student loans, federal student loans. Mm -hmm. um, this is when I was in college. And then all of a sudden it was what, five or seven years later that I get – a tax bill and it says that all of a sudden I uh, didn't I didn't get the tax credits for being in college and it took me four years fighting with the IRS to ultimately prove to the IRS that the federal government gave me a federal student loan and I had to prove to the federal government and to the IRS that I received a federal student loan. The guy down – it ultimately ended with me down at the IRS office down in Denver, and the guy that I was working with, he was a nice enough guy, and he's just like, this doesn't even make sense. I'm like, agreed, agreed. Yeah, no, I'm sitting here <laughs> telling you it doesn't, yeah. So, but let's get back to the overall economy. Well, what does this ultimately mean? So this is – the way that I'm feeling right now is kind of the same way that I was feeling about halfway through 2006. Uh, I was currently living out in Vegas at the time, and Vegas was the hardest hit, um, really one of the places that was hardest hit during the overall last recession during the housing uh, crisis. Yeah, it was a messy, messy And I deal. get the exact same vibes right now mm -hmm. is because all of a sudden you have um, auto repossession starting to increase. Mm -hmm. You have interest rates going up. The Fed just in, uh, raised the interest rates again by three-quarters of a point fourth interest rate raise this year and they're talking they aren't sure if they're going to raise it more raise it less i imagine it'll probably be raised two or three more times by probably not the same extent but we're dealing with the inflation issue so you have all of that going on as interest rates are, are increasing so people that have essentially spent their savings now living on credit cards credit cards are increasing in interest rate Car loans are increasing in interest rates. Home loans are increasing in interest rates. Yeah, you got people cashing out their 401ks so that they can pay their mortgage. Trust me, we've been there. So it is a very frustrating situation. And I ask, truly ask, the reason why we're talking about this, and again, I understand this isn't entirely a local topic, but people need to be, you need to be aware of everything that is going on right now because this is, we are not headed in a great direction. We're not talking about people that are living check to check either. I mean, certainly it's going to affect them the fastest, if you will. But it, this is, it is moving up the economical ladder. It's starting to affect middle class and 
upper middle class families. And while, you know, it may seem like, okay, well, upper middle class, whatever, they're going to be just fine. No, that is not the case. This is, it's starting to affect your neighbors. It is starting to affect your families. And it really is, I mean, I would say this absolutely is a Northern Colorado, Northern Colorado issue because our housing market is such a mess anyway. And so you're going to start seeing a pretty big increase in people sending in jingle mail. You know, it's, this is, it's, it's getting very, very messy. Yeah. We're starting. One of the things that I look at on a weekly basis is the overall foreclosure report. Mm -hmm. Back in February, there were two, maybe three or four properties on that list. Now we're at the point of two to three pages of properties on that list. Yeah. This is something that is starting to come out and starting to unfold. And the reason I bring this up is you, with the midterm elections coming up, you have to know where these people stand. Yeah. You have to know where they stand and that they can't just go with the flow to get along because that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing for years. And the frustration that I get is any time that we start talking about any particular thing, all of a sudden the negative attacks come. I remember when Obamacare, mm -hmm. the Affordable Care Act was being discussed. And I can't tell you how many times that I was within a political environment talking about what the Affordable Care Act was, the fact that we were told by Speaker Pelosi that we have to pass it to find out what's in it. And I'm like, no, this is no. absolutely absurd. And I was labeled a racist constantly. And I said, I'm, I'm not a racist. I'm further from that than really anybody. And I get so tired of being labeled something because I have a disagreement with an ideology or with an agenda. And this is what we're seeing right now. This is part of the frustration that I have, even though mm -hmm. we've talked about climate change quite a bit. That's my issue with climate change is because anytime I try to have the discussion, I immediately get labeled a climate denier. I get labeled so many different things. It's like, no, we need to have the discussions. We need to have the difficult discussions that people don't want to have. Well, I, I just, in your defense, I want to say that you're one of those people that does probably more research than I even have time for. Truthfully, you read so much and you have a lot of different perspectives. So sometimes when we're talking on the show, I'm looking at you like wide eyed. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but I think the narrative that essentially you're somehow a racist or that you're a climate denier or that you're whatever the catchphrase of the week is is completely ridiculous. You can't, you can't start throwing things like that out at people and saying, well, you're racist because you don't support a president that you don't agree with the bill he's trying to pass because you can't read it. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I, I know you read the CARES Act. I know you read the, um, Affordable Health Care Act. Pretty much every single one that's come through, you have read every single page of it. it what <laughs> Not every page of it. Some of those were well, when it gets into 14, 1500, 1800, 2300 pages. Again, I don't believe that those bills should be passed. I truly don't believe that those not. bills should be passed. I think we should have a max, a max. If you've ever read one, the reason why I'm stating this is a lot of people will say that it should be just a single page. Mm -hmm. The overall formatting, you can't get it to a single page, but I believe that there, there should be a max of 50 pages to be able to pass a bill that you can't just add and lump everything into these bills. So the frustrating thing that I had where everybody talks about, um, um, what was the terminology? Um, pork. 
oh, everyone yeah. was talking about the pork and the bills and all of this stuff. The way that it used to be is that if you had um, something that you wanted to attach to a bill, it forced you to put your name on it. You yeah. understood exactly who were, were putting in these uh, additions into these bills that had nothing to do with the bill. Now they don't have to do that. Now any of these amendments they don't have to do. So you don't know who's actually throwing in, you know, $250 million for XYZ project. You don't know what that is, the, the earmarks. And so because of that, now you have these bills that have ballooned up to the point that they're even working on this build back better bill. One of the things that had happened is there was a $250 billion chips bill. This is where you may have heard as far as Pelosi and her husband, they bought up a bunch of NVIDIA stock. Then all of a sudden this is passing. It went up and now he's all of that stuff. I don't think any sitting member of Congress or sitting member of government should be allowed anything to do with anything on the stock market. But that's I don't either. That's an aside. But you look at these bills. And so that particular bill with the chip bill that's passed. That's going to be signed into law, $250 billion. And part of that is good. Part of it is we need to bring chip production back to the United States. And over COVID, over everything that we've seen with the automobile industry, the lack of chips, you have the major manufacturer of, of computer chips being Taiwan. With everything with the relationship between Taiwan and China right now, mm -hmm. I can understand investing within the infrastructure to be able to build chip factories within the United States. I understand that. The pork that's in that bill? It's stupid. Well, I mean, if you boil it down, it's essentially a paper filibuster. So if if they want that bill to go through... And I, I, it's actually kind of the opposite of a filibuster in the sense that if you want it to go through, just stack all those pages up so nobody reads it. It's kind of like when you don't want to, want something to go through, you stand there and you talk for as long as you possibly can so that people eventually just don't care. Yeah. And and stacking those bills up with as many pages as possible allows you to hide all that essentially pork into a bill so you can make the money you want to. Well, and you essentially set me up for my next point. <laughs> so being the fact that that had bipartisan – Support. One of the things that was essentially made an agreement on was that, hey, we'll pass this bill, the CHIPS bill, but we won't pass the Build Back Better bill. Build Back Better is essentially a uh, Green New Deal light mm -hmm. is the best way to say it. It's a $1.2 trillion bill. With a T. At the point that we are dealing with the inflation and everything else that we are dealing with right now, and now Joe Manchin, who's been the holdout, has said today that he's looking at being able to actually vote for the Build Back Better bill. So then at that point in time, you'd have 50 for it, 50 against, and then you have vice president that would cast the final vote in order for it to pass. Boy, I'd like to see how hard those lobbyists are working. And you and me both. So, but looking at even the Build Back Better bill, and I've been working to try and get an actual updated version of this bill, and it is, again, difficult to be able to find out what's actually in it. So, but you take all of this stuff into account, and this is why it is so important with the midterm elections to understand what these people stand for. Mm -hmm. Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, I don't care. You're an independent. Fantastic. Doesn't matter to me what your party affiliation is. It's you need to look at who your party has put up or who's actually running 
and you need to grill them and understand where their allegiances lie. Do they, do they align and are they, do they have allegiance to we the people or do they have allegiance to we the party? And at that point in time, we need to figure out what is going on because that is the only way that we can start to slow down everything that is happening in our country right now. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, really, you're not, you're not saying anything that isn't rational. Hey, it's interesting. We brought it up a couple of weeks ago on the show about the city council deciding to keep the money from the opiate settlement in Larimer County. And that was an interesting move. They, Kudos. I will say that because they're essentially saying, look, we're not going to allow a larger government that we don't have any control of what happens in our county, how this is going to impact us right at the very local level. We're going to, we want to do that ourselves. And I don't always agree with what the city council does. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But funny enough, with the overcash recall, they specifically said, look, if you're going to for or against when you put your papers in to essentially make your argument, it can only be so long. This cannot just be filled with a bunch of junk for that, that nobody's going to pay attention to. You can't just attack with stacks of paper. I mean, the government is well known for that. Very much so. How frustrating. I don't know. I, what bothers me about all of this is that we don't ever really know what's going on at that upper level. It's just like I mentioned lobbyists earlier. We don't know why Joe Manchin is that. Um, yeah, Joe Manchin, he's a senator from Virginia. So we don't really know why he suddenly decided to change his mind. What is in that bill then that is going to impact his people in his county or his state that's going to, number one, help line his pockets, but number two, get him reelected? That's the big kicker is overall reelection. And I'm at the point now and you don't have to follow me. I'm at the point now that I won't vote for an incumbent. Every single one of these people that have been in office for the last two years, four years, or some of them 37 years needs to be gone. At that point in time, we can actually start fresh, start anew you know, it's shocking to me that the one thing that that 87% of Americans agree on, 87% of Americans agree on is term limits. Yeah. And the fact that we don't have term limits, th- that's... <laughs> well, I suppose what the American people need to be asking is, who lined their pockets on the backs of American people? And are you willing to put them in office again to continue to do the same? Yeah. It takes me back again. We're in the month of July, just about to close it out. And I look at back towards our founding, the founding of this nation. We had 56 men that were willing to sign a document pledging their life, their liberty and their property to oust a tyrannical government taxation without representation. I was watching the Patriot the other day, uh, the Mel Gibson movie. And it's one of those that he starts talking. He says, well, why would I trade one? uh, Why would I trade a tyrannical government that's 3000 miles away for uh, a, I forget exactly the quote. It was, why would I I trade a tyrannical King that's 3000 miles away for 3000 people in my, a mile away. Mm-hmm. And we're at that point, it seems like, and I hate talking about this, 
But you look at the simple basics of everything that we are going through right now, everything that COVID taught us, the fact that we willingly went into a lockdown. Again, I understand people were scared. People were afraid of what was transpiring. But now we're at the point that we have the CDC has been caught in so many lies that they they aren't publishing them anymore. The WHO was caught in so many lies that they aren't publishing them anymore. You have in the UK a rampant run of heart-related deaths that they can't explain and aren't willing to investigate at the same time that that's happening within the United States. You have all of this that has transpired within the last two, two and a half years. You have the Affordable Care Act that was supposed to make health care affordable, where I'm paying, and I know many people that are paying a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a month for health insurance for their families. It has a fourteen thousand dollar deductible. You take the rising food costs, you take the rising fuel costs, you take the the rising rent costs and mortgage payment costs, you take all of this and then you pause and you take a look at the overall taxes that we are paying. You're you're taxed on your income, you're taxed on everything you spend on your income that was already taxed. You get taxed to drive, you get taxed to stay home, you get taxed for everything that you want to do. How did we get to this moment in history within this nation? How did we allow this to happen? It it boggles my mind how many people don't pause to take a look and to try and understand what is actually going on within our nation, within our state, within our local communities, and why we're all right with it. Yeah. I mean, well said, sir. The the problem here, truthfully, is that people don't ask the questions and they don't look into things and they don't. I mean, I don't know about you, but I vote with my wallet. A Truly. lot of people do. I mean, really, I yeah, there's feelings involved in a lot of stuff. Obviously, if my belief is so strong that I feel like I need to push that issue, I'm going to vote that way. However... I go to your business because your business is good and I'm, I'm willing to spend my money on it. I buy a product because it's a good product and I'm willing to spend my money on it. The problem here is that there's a delineation in the idea that my politician, the person that is representing me, had better make things better for my wallet. And I'm not going to vote for somebody that's not going to. And it, it really does come down to a local level. I mean, it really, really does. Yes, there's all those people in Washington that, you know, are making their money off of our backs. Absolutely. We pay taxes, apparently, so they can sit there and figure out a way to charge us more in taxes. But at the very local level here, you need to be asking your representatives what they are going to do to make our little county, our little communities better. Because we're not going to be able to affect any sort of change until we do it on a local level. I mean, that's the bottom line. The part that worries me the most out of all of this is the fact that those that are most in need right now are going to be affected the most. Yeah. When you have every politician over the last decade that has said, no, we aren't going to raise taxes on the poor. We aren't going to raise taxes on the needy. And yet you have an inflation rate, a BS of inflation rate of 9.1%. Yeah. That affects and that is a tax on the poor more so than anybody else. 
And now that is trickling down or trickling up into the lower middle class, the middle class, the upper middle class, to the point that it is affecting people's lives and ability to just function. Yeah, you don't have to tax the poor. You tax the people that help the poor. And you're taxing the poor. It's... It's an ironic moment. Everybody talks about we're in the age of woke. And when people talk about that, they fail to understand that when people are sheltered, have transportation, and are fed, then they can very easily worry about all of the little things. Mm -hmm. They can worry about the LGBTQ. They can worry about trans rights. They can worry about all of the other things that are outliers. When people are starving, when they lack transportation and they lack housing, all of a sudden those don't matter to them. They may still matter a little bit, but truly in the large grand scheme of things, those things don't matter. And all it does is pisses people off when you're focused on like Elizabeth Warren focused on the USB standardizing the USB charger on your cell phone when people are going hungry, when people can't afford to put fuel in their car to go to work. This is why I I refuse to vote for any incumbents. Right now, moving forward until they have shown and they have proven to me that they actually deserve that spot in that office and they respect the people enough, we the people enough, and their country enough to actually do right and to honor their oath of office, then I may reconsider. But as of right now, I refuse to vote for an incumbent and I highly encourage you to do the same. I would concur with that big time because, you know, I mean, we need to be paying attention. You know, I, um, Gerald Ford said it best. I mean, I, I run this through my head all the time is that a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take away everything that you have. It's, it, I, I will say, I, I would, I think what's really important is that the people that are in that middle level that are doing okay right now are the ones that pay the most attention. Pay attention because it doesn't just affect you. It affects your community. So when you see those homeless camps getting bigger, when you watch your neighbors clear out their house or everything is sitting on their curb and they have nowhere to go, or when you know that a child in in your child's class is going hungry, you pay attention and you find a way to help those people. And I know that's such a controversial subject of, you know, homeless camps and all of those things, but we are going to see a significant increase of people that you know, and you care about going to the desperate and we have got to pay attention. I know that this has not been the most bright and shiny of our episodes. Um, and you may have heard in my tone of voice, my frustration. And a lot of that is because of the line of work that I'm in and the people that I talk to on a regular basis. And I'm seeing people struggle on a daily basis. And the fact that this was preventable this truly was a preventable crisis that we are going through right now. And to understand that the people in office are doing this to you, to me, to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors. And that, you know, they have 
no issue with it, no remorse. They don't care. They're just asking you for more money so that way they can get reelected again and sit on the top of the mountain. Yeah. So. I know. <laughs> so. Normally, we would leave you on a uplifting note of beer of the week. Unfortunately, I've got some testing going on and that sort of stuff. I have psoriasis and some psoriatic arthritis and, and that sort of stuff. And so I'm not allowed to drink at the moment. And so, unfortunately, that is part of the reason why we haven't had beer of the week for the last couple of episodes. And we'll, we won't have it for the next couple of episodes. But soon enough, when we are able to, we will bring back beer of the week because we have 16 breweries in Northern Colorado that were just put out on the list um, of the top breweries within Northern Colorado. And some of them have been on the list. We've uh, verboten was on there. You had new Belgium Odell's uh, here in Berthoud city star brewery was on yeah, that we list. Love city star uh, weld works. So there's a lot of fantastic beers and breweries that uh, made that list that we definitely want to bring back to you. So all right, and just a quick shout shout out to uh, Cody Wilson with um, Denver and Front Range Weather. Um, if you want to buy him a cup of coffee or a glass of wine to chill out at the end of a really rough night, you can go to um, denverandfrontrangeweather.com or even find him on his Facebook page. He's got a Venmo there that actually kind of supports what he does because he is not supported by any major industry at all. He's not affiliated with local news stations or anything. Um, he does have some great sponsors that he highlights on his page. So check out what he's got going on and hopefully we'll be able to talk to Cody at some point. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you tuning in. And if this resonated with you, I highly encourage you to share this episode with others. Um, and again, leave us a comment and a review. Subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you listen to us. Uh, and then if you have any comments, please reach out to us at the native.thetransplant at gmail.com. Again, the native.thetransplant at gmail.com. And if you'd like, we are always accepting new sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And if you are running... And you are on, in particular, I'm, I'm putting it out there. If you know of someone on the left that is running, that is willing to come on the podcast and have the conversation and not bail within 24 hours, please send them our way because I, I want to get the other perspective. I want to get both sides of the aisle. Let's have the conversation. Yeah, most certainly. Well, as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you.